0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy addresses why communion is so important to the church and how it keeps the church on mission with the gospel of Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're going to talk about communion. Let me ask you this question. And this question, um, I assume if we just went down the line today, there'd be variations of the same answer, maybe even different answers. Here's the question. And we're going to navigate this question today with communion. You're like, how do these things relate? Hopefully, you'll see they relate at the end. Uh, that's my job. If it, does, if it doesn't relate, then I bombed, all right? So here we go. I'm going to ask a question about the church. Here it is. Why does the church exist, and why do you go? Why does the church exist, and why do you attend, okay? Now, depending on your background, you might answer that differently, or you might have different circumstances. Let me give you four test cases. Two of them are my parents. One's me. One's a good friend of mine. My dad was a spiritual mutt, okay? He went to so many different churches. He was a Baptocostal, Bible-believing, non-denominational Presbyterian. Uh, If you know anything about those backgrounds, they're very different. And so growing up, my dad would always know when we drive by a church, oh, this church believes this or that. This church believes this or that. I thought my dad at first was making all that stuff up. Turns out he had been to all those churches, all right? So that was my dad. All right. My mom, she grew up in a religious setting, went to church every Sunday, had first communion. Uh, She was confirmed, Uh, went to the Christian school that was connected to it. It wasn't in this town. Don't be thinking it's like, okay, what church is that? It was in Iowa. Um, So she grew up religious thinking that she was good because she did good things. It wasn't in high school that she realized that you can't get to God by doing good things. You only get to Jesus uh, through his grace by placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did, not what we did. If today, this morning, you're feeling pretty good with God because you have a whole list of things that you feel pretty good that you've done, that isn't good enough. There's nothing that we can do that's good enough, nothing. Jesus is good enough. And so when, this is the beautiful thing, is that how broken or unbroken we come this morning, Jesus accepts you where you're at when you place your faith and trust in him and he takes you where he's going. So my mom realized she was religious but that she didn't have that personal relationship with Jesus, and so she placed her faith and trust in Christ as a teenager. When she started going to church, she found an evangelical church, and church came alive. To her. The Scriptures came alive. The Bible came alive. The Spirit came alive. For me, I grew up in the church thinking that everybody that attended a church was a believer. That everybody, you'd think everybody coming in the doors are believers. Well, it turns out not everybody is. Some people are trying to figure out where they're at with God. Other people are skeptical. Other people are dragged here by their friend, um, and so we see that here too. But I, I had the understanding that. Uh, Church is just for believers, and we're all believers. And it wasn't until this church planted another church that I realized that reached people reach people. You see, if you've been reached uh, for Christ, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, somebody told you about it. Somebody invited you into the church. And so, reach people, reach people. And so, in this church plant, I realized that church isn't just for followers of Christ; it is for people that also come in and might not be following Christ yet. It's a mix. Then there's my friend, Ben. Before he knew Christ, before I knew him, actually, he was the high school druggie. Like, he was the guy that sat in the, his vehicle and was like Cheech and Chong, and the, the smoke cloud would come out of the, the car. All right, like, yeah, I just, I didn't know him, I knew him from afar. Somebody invited him to church. And when they invited him to church, it wasn't a church I went to or whatever, but they invited him to church, the people at the church said, hey, you need to have your life together before you hang out here. And so he was really offended and kind of put off by the church for a while. And so... Every person in this four case study of my parents, myself, and Ben, different scenarios of understanding what church is all about. This morning, I want us to, wherever our background is, whether you came from a traditional background or whether you came from a background where you only came to church on Easter or Christmas or maybe your wedding day, you did something courageous. You went through the doors and not knowing anybody, not knowing the culture of church, that's awesome. But I want you to know this. The reason why we have church, the reason why we attend church is represented through when we do communion. Now, wait a minute here. You mean to tell me that church is all about bread and a cup? We'll get into that in a second. It's not about the bread. It's not about the cup. But what we do when we go to the communion table is we are affirming that church is about Jesus, that church is about the message and gospel of Jesus. And everything else comes from that. So we see communion first instituted in Luke chapter 22. It's the Last Supper. You may have seen the painting. Jesus stepped into history to come to this earth fully God, fully man, to be the physical, visible sight of God in humanity, broken humanity. To be the perfect sacrifice for us. We who could not save ourselves from the sin in our life, Jesus accomplished what we could not accomplish. So Jesus, in his uh, lower 30s, was going to be crucified, was going to be broken for us. Jesus in his lower 30s, his disciples were teenagers with the exception of Peter. He was in his lower 20s. So you may have heard this joke before. Jesus was actually the first youth pastor. He had one adult sponsor and one really, really bad kid named Judas. All right? So, um, you know, they were young. It was, a, it was a young movement. And so Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. But before that, he was going to demonstrate through communion what was about to happen. And so Jesus leads his disciples up to a to the Passover meal, the Last Supper, the Passover meal was celebrated by Jewish people commemorating their freedom from the captivity from Egypt in, in previous generations. Uh, the Passover occurred when the enslaved uh, Israelites, uh, the enslaved Israelites, took a lamb, ate it, slaughtered it, put the blood above its doorpost, and that evening, when the angel Death came through, it passed over their homes that the blood of the lamb was over their doorpost. So you can see the picture here. Jesus shed his blood. When Jesus, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, the blood covers us. Do you get that? And so this picture of uh, the Passover was an ultimate picture of what was going to happen in Christ. The Israelites didn't know that at the time, but because of the obedience of the Israelites putting the blood of the post, the angel of death would pass by them, but he did not pass by the unbelieving Egyptians. Now, this seems cruel, but this is ultimately how Israel was uh, led, set free. They were set free through this judgment of God on Egypt. And so each year, the Israelites would celebrate uh, their freedom from captivity by celebrating and eating a Passover meal. And that's where we see Jesus and the disciples. But here is the crazy things that disciples are going to see here. They are seeing Jesus institute this meal, and they're going to realize that Jesus is equating himself as a sacrifice. He's equating himself. He's, he's inserting himself into this meal. In fact, Paul said this previously in 1 Corinthians 5-7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Jesus begins to go through the Passover meal, and the disciples, they are stunned that Jesus began to equate the bread and the cup to his body and his blood. Now, let, let's just say this here for a second. This bread, which we'll use for communion uh, or represent community today. This is not the body of Christ. I bought this at festival and this uh, cup here I just poured out this morning from a container, all right? So this is not the body and blood of Christ. Uh, this is a communion when we eat the bread and we drink of the cup is a picture. It's a symbol to remember what Jesus did for us. The greatest act of love in history was that he sacrificed himself for us and it's pictured through the bread and the cup. Now, why would we do a bread in the cup? Well, this is, comes from Semitic culture culture. Israel, the Middle East. If you ever travel there in Israel in the Middle East, they are, they go to painstaking efforts to represent a truth with something very physical and visible. And so today in an in American culture where this doesn't necessarily translate, it seems odd. And when we forget the meaning of what this represents, we can begin to Think of it as magical or mystical and thinking, okay, I'm gonna take the body and blood of Christ and somehow I'm gonna be better now. No, it's just bread and it's just the cup. It's the meaning behind it that is so important. And when we forget it, we forget why we meet together as a church, why the church exists and why we're saved to begin with. So we see this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25 through 26. Do this at his communion as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we as a church together do communion... We are proclaiming that Jesus has come, that he's died, he's resurrected, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the purpose of why we even meet together. You see, we're not here together to sing songs and talk about a spiritual guru who went on a cross and is laying in the ground. We're here today to worship a living and active God who died on the cross but rose from the dead and today gives us the Holy Spirit to do what we're incapable of doing ourselves. So communion is this bold picture of remembrance when God came to be among us, that Jesus would die for the sins of the world to be that substitutionary atonement that in everyday language means simply just to take our place, to take our place. So therefore, communion reminds us what brings our church together, Jesus. The church isn't about me, it's not about you, it's about Jesus, and it's about what he's about, Not necessarily what we're about. So a proper view of the church will influence how we relate to one another as God's church. In fact, here's the main point this morning. Healthy relationships begin vertical and spread horizontal. Healthy relationships begin vertical and spread horizontal. When you enter this church, again, you're not entering my church or your church. We're entering Christ's church. This is Jesus's church. And Jesus said that and he said and he promised, he told this to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There is no plan B, there's only plan A, it's his church that is universally made up of all believers of all time and is made manifest by local churches today. That's a mixture of those that have said yes to Jesus and those that are figuring it out still or maybe even skeptical. The church is called a family. It's called a bride. This, this picture of the bride is, is just think of a husband or wife and their love for each other. Christ calls the church's bride and that he would lay his own life down for it. The church is called a harvest. The church is not supposed to be something that is to be stagnant, but there's always a harvest in every season. And, and, and the scripture talks about how the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few but listen, the workers won't be few for remember why we come here to begin with. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that the reached reach to reach. Then the church functions properly and we remember why we're here to begin with. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica. He wrote to Corinth. He also wrote to a church in modern-day Greece. This is what he said. Just as we've been approved by God and trusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men or humanity, but to please God who tests our hearts. The ultimate goal of the church is ultimately not to make us all feel good and sing kumbaya and say, man, that felt good today. Listen, we're not here also to blow people up either. We're here to praise Jesus. And in that, we realize what our true identity lies in. It lies in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We realize that our life is not just our circumstances. It's not just the gossip. It's not just the drama. It's not just our jobs. It's not just the whatever. It's Jesus. And when it's Jesus, listen, when it's vertical, the horizontal gets better. And as we reach, we will grow. But listen, church growth is not the ends of the means. That's misguided. The end is to praise Jesus, to affirm Jesus, and to reach people for Jesus. And the results will follow. Jim Cimbala of the Brooklyn Tabernacle says it best. I think the reason why uh, the church sometimes is, is stunted in what it's supposed to do is because we get comfortable. We get comfortable in what we know about Jesus. We get comfortable knowing about the gospel. We get comfortable that there may be people to our right or our left that don't, that don't know a thing about Christ, and we can sit with them for a decade and not mention anything about Christ. And Jim Cimbala puts it this way. He says, imagine a basketball court with hoops five feet off the ground. So remember like fifth grade, you know, the adjustable uh, basketball hoops, all right? Five feet off the ground, the free throw line is three feet away. And you've just made 884 baskets in a row. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. till someone comes by and they question you. And it's like, what is a middle-aged man like me, right? What is, someone, what is someone like me doing playing basketball five feet tall without my son three feet away and being, hey, I'm really excited. I've just shot 884 baskets in a row. And he's going to say, hey, what are you playing? What are you doing? It's like, I'm playing basketball. And the person would respond. They say, no, you're not. You see, in basketball, the the hoop's 10 feet tall. The free throw line is 15 feet away. You're not playing basketball. You're just playing around. You're not playing basketball. You're just playing around. And this is what Jim Simmel's conclusion is. If we desire the hand of God, that is his power to return to the church, we can't be playing around. He says this, we should focus less on personalities and the abilities of the gifting of people. Listen, that that is huge. Because sometimes people are like, oh, I just I just love that person, or I just just want to bring my gift. And that becomes the center of the church. Listen, personalities and gifting, that's not a bad thing, but that's not why we meet. We don't meet to big ourselves up. We meet to build the church up. And listen, this is what he says again. We should focus less on personalities and the ability and the gifting of people and more on Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Church is not first and foremost to please me, my family, using my gifts. It's about Jesus, and everything needs its proper place and subordination to that. Healthy relationships begin vertical and spread horizontal. The opposite is when we have unhealthy horizontal relationships, and that's what we live for, it will knock out the intimacy in the vertical. When we get that backwards, it's, it gets us all sideways. Communion reminds us the priority of our gathering as a church. If the gospel is not center of everything that we do, if it's not the center of everything that we do, why we gather, We are gathering all wrong. Church is first and foremost all about Jesus. Church is not about the primarily earthly relationships. Those are important, but they need to flow out of our vertical relationship. You will be a better friend. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better father. You'll be a better mother if your vertical is healthy. So to foster the right relationships in church, we need to look at these three things. The first one I want to look at is agreement in who Jesus is. This is important. Why do you go to church? Well, we need to agree on who Jesus is. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. This is Paul speaking to the church. The church that, by the way, thought they had it all together, they thought they knew everything, he said, this church is lacking in no gifts, which means they're pretty talented. This is what he says. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as a sensible people, judge for yourself what I say. So we need to be in agreement of who God is, who Jesus is in our life. And so in order to do that, we have to identify and we have to flee from all idols in our life. Now, Paul's time, uh, in Paul's time, when he was speaking to the church of Corinth, uh, they were worshiping the idol of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And so even though the temple had fallen into ruins, a whole line of wine shops would open up. Why wine shops? This is why. There would be, be temple prostitutes in there. They'd have their thing. They'd drink wine, get drunk, and they'd open themselves up to this deity. It's, pretty de- it's full of debauchery. It's sick. So drunkenness and sexual activity... Uh, was huge amongst idolatry in their time. So it makes, it, makes us, make us blush, right? And that's what he was dealing with in the church, is that you have to flee from idols. Now today, we aren't going to like these stones of Aphrodite or Zeus or whomever. Uh, I don't think we're tempted to worship that. I don't Maybe you are. I don't know. I've, I don't see how anybody could, but whatever. But these stone statues, right? We're probably not going to be tempted in doing that. However... The idolatry that we are going to be tempted with and perhaps even tempted with right now is the condition of our heart, the things, whether they're good or whether they're bad, lifting those things up, having affections and love for those things that eclipse our love and affections of God. So think of good things, your family, your kids. Uh, Think of your girlfriend or your boyfriend, school, success, your job, sports. These things that in themselves are not bad, they very well could be idols. They could be eclipsing your love for God, for Jesus, so we have to identify and we have to flee from these idols. And that word flee in the original is like what you would see, a refugee fleeing from a war-torn land. When you say yes to idols, you are at war with your heart. You know, Pastor Will placed his faith and trust in Christ. Um, he was a visitor here. He was a guest. And we went to Wendy's with him, and he gave his life to Christ right in Wendy's. It was awesome. And he went to school, and now he's now he's part of our, our team. Within the first year of him uh, placing his faith in Christ, he just he was all in. All right? Like, he's just... There's anything wrong? I'm just gonna rid it. And so somehow we got on the subject of idols, and we were around the um, idolatry or whatever. I think he brought it up, but uh, we were around a, a campfire in my backyard, and he he left and came back with a Cubs jersey and an Xbox, and he says these are my idols in my life. And I said, oh. And then he began to hold the jersey and the Xbox over the fire. I'm like, Will, what are you doing? He's like, I have to get rid of these. I have to burn them right now. And I was like, no, 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 wait, wait. You you don't have to burn them. It's It's called priorities. And I'm not saying that we, by the way, this is the coolest thing. The Xbox wasn't even his. It was his friend's. So later on, his friend is running. He's like, what are you doing? That's my Xbox. He's like, I play it too much. So I love new believers. They're just all in. All right, so. We're not gonna have a burn pit in our parking lot and say, let's just go burn all the things that we love more in Christ. And what I'm asking us is to search our hearts, identify it, and rid what is wrong and what is not wrong, like family, your wife, and your kids, put that in position of your love for Christ. Because guess what? You're gonna love the things that you love even better and in a proper way when you love the vertical relationship of Christ even more. We must flee from idolatry. Church, we can make so many good things, and even in the church, we can make God things God. Think about that. We can make God things God. We can worship the worship. We can worship the translation of scripture that we have. We can worship the building. We can worship, you, you name it, you can worship it. And we're not to worship those things. That is the how, we're gonna worship the why. That is Jesus, right? We're gonna worship Jesus. Paul says this in verse 15, speak, I speak as a sensible people, judge for yourself what I say. So what he's basically saying here to the church of Corinth is, hey, you're sensible people. I want you to choose this day. Do you believe what I am saying? Do you need to flee from idols in your life? Do you believe that the word of God is being presented to you? We have to choose this day. Are we gonna rid our hearts of things that we love more than God? Are we gonna put them in the proper position? We believe in the word of God. We believe that He, the the Holy Spirit breathed out his word perfectly through scripture and it guides us and directs us through every area of our life. But are we gonna believe that? Listen, if you were to ask the people of Corinth, like, of course they would say we gotta get rid of idols. They could tell you all the the doctrines. They could show you what they were doing in their church. But the thing they were lacking was a heart for absolute obedience. And the love language of our Lord is this. What we know, we go do. What we know, we go do. What we know, we go do. We are not a perfect people, but we are a real people being made new. We're all in process. But the process we have to say yes to. Healthy relationships begin vertically, will spread horizontally. So how does Paul... Want to get people that have idols in their hearts back to the heart of why church exists to begin with. He talks about communion. He talks about communion. So the second thing that we need to understand in having unity in our church is an agreement, having right fostering right relationships in the churches. We need to have agreement in why we belong. Verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, he's speaking of communion. It is not a participation of the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? These are emphatic answers. He's answering yes. Yes, it is, because there is one bread. We are many, We are many. our one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. So here's the thing that we need to clear up if it's not clear already. Communion is not the gospel in the sense that it will save you. It's a representation of the gospel. So communion reminds us the beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. It's the true north, it's the center, it's the lifeblood of who we are as a church, the message of Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Supper reminds us that we are guests at the Lord's table of which he has prepared for us in love. And we're united together to eat in this message. And it's a tragedy that so many churches and myself even included when i've gone before the lord's table and i've taken communion it's just become routine or it's be- i've lost the meaning it becomes odd or or you may have come from a tradition where this becomes a very means of salvation if i want to get to heaven i better do communion listen you won't get to heaven by taking communion you only get to heaven by placing your faith and trust in what communion represents and that's jesus so we see here paul wants to bring them back to why they exist as a church he says this the cup of blessing that we bless is, not a participa- is this not a participation in the blood of Christ? What he's saying is this. It's where blessed. It's where we get the English word eulogy. Now, when do you usually hear the word eulogy? Funerals, right? And so typically at funerals, no matter how good the person was or how hated the person was, somebody will go up there, they'll read the obituary, and then they'll say at least a few moments of really good things about that person. I can't think of one funeral I've been at where someone just trashes the person that died. That would just be tacky, right? Right? They're, they're made in the image of God. Someone should... You know, speak well of. That's what eulogy means to speak well of somebody. So Paul is saying, communion, you will eulogize Christ. But make no mistake, when we go before communion, it is not a funeral. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but unlike any other human being that dies and they stay in the grave and they're eulogized and we hope to see them again, right? Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later. So this eulogy, this blessing, this praise that yes, Jesus has risen from the dead, right? Yes, Jesus has died for our sins. Listen, this is not a funeral. This is a resurrection. This is life. And so we don't go before, we don't go before communion and act like it's a funeral and act all somber. It's grieving at maybe our sin that might be in our life. Getting right before God and then having a celebration that rivals the NBA Finals when it's game seven, the score is tied, and the winning team, or well, the team that's about to win, puts in the last basket and it's a buzzer beater. Or it's when the Chicago it's when the Chicago Bears actually win a Super Bowl and Chicago goes crazy, right? Or the Green Bay Packers, when they win their 30th Super Bowl, whatever they're on, they go crazy. Or it's like when the Chicago Cubs, when they finally won the World Series, you know what happened? I've played this video before. You can hear it from the rooftop. The whole city was going, go cubs, go, go, cubs, go. They were singing the hymn of the Cubs, and you could hear it resonate in celebration. Fireworks going crazy. Listen, communion should rival that because we are not mourning someone who's died, but celebrating he who is alive. So communion is the occasion where we speak of the death and resurrection. The bread that we break, Paul says, is not a is this not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one, for we all partake of one bread. Now, this is interesting, that word participation is where we actually get the word communion. It's sharing together. The word is sharing together. So this is important. You just can't take communion at home like, you know what? I'm just going to have communion every day. This is awesome. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to have communion. Then I'm going to have my meal. So I'm going to have a loaf of bread and you know, pop it in and just get some uh, you know grape juice. It's going to be great, you know, right? And the thing is, no, 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 no. You can praise God, I'm sure, in that, but listen. The beauty of communion is that it starts vertical, but horizontally we affirm this together. We share in this truth together. And when the church shares in this value, watch out. the city's about to change. They're going to see a unified message that it's not about us. It's about this person named Jesus. How could he who was on this earth 2,000 years ago change lives? I want to know more about this. Tell me about it. That's the beauty of communion. It presupposes and actually requires that we're of one mind. Or if you say, oh, I'm a skeptic, I don't really believe yet. We say without judgment, don't take communion. We're cool with that. Like we're happy that you're not taking it if you don't believe. Because you're saying that you do believe by taking communion. It doesn't save you, don't get me wrong, okay? But you're, you're saying, hey, I, I believe this. But if you don't really believe it, that's not real. We're for authenticity, right? So there's no judgment. It's so important that our vertical relationships, our, our vertical relationship with God, is is priority and first because horizontal relationships will let you down. I can't tell you oftentimes, even here, just hearing different stories, whether people have been baptized or they've placed their faith and trust in Christ, or even just attending church, they've they've said, you know, I've had I've heard people where family disown them, or they get in fights, or they don't really understand it, and that's thankfully not everybody's story, but it's a lot of people's stories here, and and it's not required, but sometimes it happens. And I want to tell you if that is your story, never, ever, ever give up praying and loving your family. If they're showing hostility to you, you show them love. You pursue them and you love them right into the kingdom. Nobody, I have never seen anybody judged in the kingdom of God. I've seen them loved into the kingdom of God. And so if that is your family today, pray for them, love them no matter what, show the spirit of Christ. But that can only happen. You can only persevere through that if you're vertical. Is supreme with the horizontal. Because again, it's not that the horizontal is not important. In fact, it's very important. And so, if you want to love and cherish your friendship and family all the more, it needs to be vertical first. It needs to be vertical first. When life gets sideways, communion is a gift of God to reunify, to refocus His church, to remind us it is all about Him. Third thing this morning, is commitment you need to have a commitment and having the right heart and right expectation in church, so when you come into the room with expectation that God's going to do something you're able to you're able to celebrate faster, quicker, and better so we need to have expectation you see here's the thing the Church of Corinth didn't have any expectation any longer. their expectation was is that look at me, did you see me oh and about me and they're fighting over who is more gifted they're fighting over who what leader they like the best and so Paul says this previously he's like hey thanks for keeping what I handed down to you. What he was saying was basically was, hey, I can commend you that you actually do, still do communion, but check this out. But in the following directives, this is verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Ouch. Ouch. I mean, that'd be like if Paul was writing a letter to a church today and saying, hey, I really want to commend you. You're you're still meeting on, on, on Sunday morning. You're still meeting once a week. But everything you're doing, I can't commend you on. It's wrong. And that's precisely what was happening with their meetings and specifically communion. In fact, we see here that one of the big things that was first, I would say, one of the biggest things that they were struggling with was disunity, divisions, in the first chapter of Corinthians, we first Corinthians, we noticed that there were factions. We had some people saying they're for this guy named Apollos, and one for Paul, one for Peter, and, and I'm sure other factions. And people were dividing uh, like tribes. And when there's division, it will lead to drunkenness. And what I mean by this is not necessarily intoxication by wine, I'm talking about intoxication of your selfish desires and what you want, and not what God wants. So it becomes about your faction, or becomes about the personality, or, or it becomes about whatever, and not about. Jesus in the gospel. So Paul gives us a picture. Verse, chapter 11, verse 18. The first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. To some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be some differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not for the Lord's supper, you eat. He's like, you're doing the Lord's supper, but this isn't the Lord's supper because this is what was happening. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and the other gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Ouch. So again, let's break this down. You had the divisions, and the divisions led to the drunkenness. And in this case, it actually was drunkenness, but like, it, but proceeding didn't... The drunkenness that we see in communion, they were drunk on their own preference. They were drunk on their own factions. They were drunk on their own perspective. And so you had these different factions, and the factions were playing out in communion. Communion can't happen if you're not set on being unified that this, the gospel, is what it's all about. And so what you had happening here is, especially in the early church, you had communion where you'd take the bread and the cup, and then you'd have this agape feast. It was this big meal. In fact, all through the early church, food was... A big deal in the church and it still is as far as I'm concerned think of many of your uh, most significant conversations it was probably over a meal right right before you got engaged you probably went on a meal right like just think of all the significant moments over a meal or a meal preceded that or came after and so what was happening is that this in crowd in the church of Corinth this in crowd and they were a well-to-do crowd uh, they were just only focused on themselves and so when communion day came this is what happened I'm not breaking this loaf for you. I'm taking the whole loaf. Mine. Oh, and this? Yeah. Um, hey, you got another one? Uh, hey, give me three rounds just for me, right? And so they're drunk at communion. They get to the agape feast where they're supposed to share their food. And they're like, Hey, you aren't invited to our table. This is a private dinner party, but we're poor and we have nothing. We're not, it doesn't matter. And listen, church, that's precisely what happens when it, does not become when it's not about Jesus anymore, when it's not about Jesus' gospel, it will inevitably become about self and about factions and about what people want. And it's gonna be one to the exclusion of the other. I'm gonna tell you this right now: it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, no matter how people react around you, you have the personal responsibility for your heart. And your heart is simply as this: in church, every church in the world. It's messed up because it has messy people and we're messy people. I'm a messy person, you're a messy person, right? The messy people move forward when they look at the perfect vertically and say, I understand why we have a church. I understand whose church this is and I understand the mission. When you have laser sharp focus and are wavering in that, God's gonna take you places. Well, when we impact God's word, we don't wanna just be somebody who knows the word. We wanna know the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't know Jesus just by knowing things about him. You need to know him personally. Do you have a relationship with Almighty God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, he created you to have a relationship with him. Did you know that? He, You were wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. You were created to know God. The problem is We've sinned we've done something wrong in our past in our present and undoubtedly in our future and that sin separates us from Almighty God you see God requires perfection in heaven and not one of us including you including myself we're not perfect and so sin separates us from Almighty God and what people try to do is they try to get to God by religion they try to get to God by doing good works or to prove themselves but none of these things will get us to God in fact our righteousness is but filthy rags, is what scripture says. And so it requires a miraculous uh, a, a miraculous happening. And that miraculous happening is this, it's not ourselves, it's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, God came 2,000 years ago as the God-man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place, to take the punishment of our sin, to take on God's wrath. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. He stood in your place and God saw your sin upon Christ. And Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus Christ died for you. But because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And his resurrection demands now our response. And the question is this, have you placed your full faith in Jesus Christ? upon Jesus Christ, what he did for you. The Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you're not sure or you know you haven't, right now is the time. You might think like, well, let me get things figured out first. No, Today Today's the day of your salvation, Scripture says. That means that you come as you are, but Christ doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he is going. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Why, why don't you consider Jesus? Why don't you place your faith and trust in Jesus right now? Uh, this prayer that I'm about to pray isn't going to save you. It's Christ who's already saved you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. So if you want to place your faith and trust with Jesus right now, will you just pray along with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned. And I realize I need a Savior. So Lord Jesus, will, uh, will you save me? I place my full faith and trust upon you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus right now, the Bible says you have become a son or daughter of the King. You have been forgiven of your sins. And know this, that once you are held in the grip of God, Nothing can pluck you from his hand. Also know this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a party in heaven happening right now. Uh, When just one person gives their life to Jesus, the angels rejoice in heaven. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode.